Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Food Fan Radio Show. And before I get into the show where I've got a couple of good, uh, I've got a real good interview and then sort of a bunch of interviews in a live setting for you. And then at the end, I'm going to cover an article called, uh, an article that I shared and that got a lot of reaction that was titled Five Reasons to Avoid Asheville, North Carolina. So stick around for that. But for now, I want to cover a couple, before I launch into that, I want to cover a couple of things that I uh, ate recently. And one of them was, as you know, I am eating my way through the white duck taco menu. I've eaten about two thirds of it now. And the most recent one I had was their bulgogi beef taco. And I thought I had eaten this one before, but after seeing it and taking a bite, I knew I never had. And it was awesome. Like it might be my new favorite. Um, although my current favorite is the pork belly and that's really hard to top. It's a beautiful piece of crispy fried, uh, pork belly with some, uh, pickled watermelon rind and green onion aioli on it. And that one is my current favorite, but this bulgogi beef one, is challenging it. And it's made with ground beef, which I was kind of happy for because I didn't really want to wrestle with any strips of beef if they weren't going to be cooked perfectly tender, which sometimes you get a taco that's got strips of beef in it and it's not very tender. So this was really nice that it was uh, the ground beef and they just mix in their sauces and then they top it with some kimchi. And I'm going to say like so many, of the tacos at taco at white duck taco, they do not look that great. Right. Like they, I mean, they look tasty when you see them, but they don't photograph well. And so the photos that I'm sharing on Facebook are not garnering a lot of attention, but the flavor on this bulgogi beef taco was incredible. So give it a try. Uh, I recommend white duck taco so far. I've eaten, as I said, two thirds of their menu, not one clunker among them. I have enjoyed every single taco, even the cold vegan, uh, tofu taco. Go figure cold taco right there. I'm thinking I'm not going to like it. It's vegan. It's made out of tofu. Okay. And I'm, I'm not opposed to those two things necessarily, but a cold vegan tofu taco, I was not really looking forward to it, but it turned out to be really good. It's their, um, banh mi taco. So there you go. No, no liver pate on that one since it's vegan. And, uh, okay. So moving on from tacos, let's talk about pizza. Drew Peterson from Asheville pizza South delivered to me his latest pizza of the month. And this is the one for February. So get it while you can. And it has a name and it is called, it's a long name. It's called the, I love it when they call me big Pablano. And I'm not sure what that references a movie or something like that. I love it when they call me big Pablano. Um, and it is made, as you would guess, with poblano peppers and some chorizo and cheese and uh, crispy chip, tortilla chips on top. And the crust is really crispy and delicious. 
And I'm telling you, talk about no clunkers. He's been delivering me his pizza of the month every month for about six months now. Not one clunker among them. This one might be my favorite one so far. It's got some spice to it. It's got a lot of crunch to it, a ton of flavor. I love it when they call me Big Poblano from Asheville Pizza South. Be sure to check that out for the month of February. And then finally, I just want to talk about two last things. One is that I ate a burger from the Sabora food truck. That's my second one of the year. I just got their basic burger because I shared it with my mom and I, I knew she wouldn't really appreciate pork belly and stuff on top. And the basic burger is great. Uh, smash burger, cheddar cheese, lettuce, tomato, onion. We took out the onions because neither my mom or I eat raw onions. And um, it was awesome. So Sabora food truck making excellent burgers. And they were parked at the little place on South French Broad that has a food truck every Tuesday. Remind yourself of that. Food truck every Tuesday on South French Broad, right across the street from Little B Thai in the uh, United Way parking lot. But don't park your car there. The United Way would prefer that you didn't. Um, and then finally, I just want to say that I received in the mail one of the craziest things I've ever received, it is called the Vegan Cheese Stadium. I don't even know what that means when they wrote to me. A company called BioLife wrote to me, and uh, they, they're they apparently a very popular vegan dairy, non-dairy cheese and cream cheese maker. I'd never heard of them, but they wrote to me, and they were like, we want to send you a vegan cheese stadium. And I was like, a, a what, what, what? Yeah, sure, go ahead. And I didn't even necessarily believe that it was true. <laughs> and then it arrived in the mail. And in the meantime, I did look it up, and I saw that they were legitimately making and giving away these things called vegan cheese stadiums. And what it was when it arrived, it's a tray that they – have set up sort of like a stadium. So there's a center part that has a football grid on it. And then, but you can actually replace the grid with a hockey grid, which I love. I'm a hockey fan. So I'm going to do that. And there's also a soccer grid and a basketball court. So uh, you put that in the middle and then you, it came with all this vegan cheese, which I haven't tried yet. I'm saving it for, I'm watching a hockey game tomorrow with my sister and you're supposed to use it for Super Bowl Sunday, but I don't, I don't worship Super Bowl. Um, and so we're, we're a hockey family. And so we're going to watch some hockey and eat all this vegan cheese. And they've got some recipes of how to make it into dip and uh, nachos and um, grilled cheese sandwiches. So BioLife sent me something I couldn't even conceive in my imagination, a vegan cheese stadium. And I'll let you know how it was. Everybody, when I posted about it online, a lot of vegans popped up and said, oh, BioLife makes great stuff. It's my favorite vegan cheese. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, folks, that's that. I just wanted to review those few items. So let's move on to the rest of the show. Hey, everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I have a special guest with me today. I have one of my fellow sort of social media bon vivants around town, uh, one of my fellow gastronomes. In fact, he calls himself the urban gastronome. I have Mr. Jeremy Hood. How are you today, Jeremy? I am doing absolutely wonderful, Stu. How about yourself, my friend? 
I'm doing great, man. It's a crisp, cold morning out there, the kind I like, and I'm looking forward to getting out and enjoying the day today. There you go. Do you have any tours today? I don't. Thank you for asking. AshevilleFoodTours.com. Uh, yeah, I don't have one today. I don't. I usually do have a, what's today, Monday? No, I don't usually have a tour on Monday, but tomorrow, for sure. There you go. That was the what perfect is- segue to get you a plug in there. Thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate you. What do you have planned for today? Actually, uh, today is all about you, and that's all I've got, all about you. Nice. Well, thanks, man. I'm only going to take 15 minutes of your time, so I I hope you can find something else to fill up the hours of the day, Jeremy. Good deal. Good deal. Um, What we got? What's on your mind today? Well, man, for first of all, I just would like to, you to please introduce yourself to my audience who probably knows who you are for the most part, but let's just tick that one off the list and then just talk about what you do for in this town and I mean you're a you're quite a character around town as much as I am. Uh, I I run into you downtown with hilarious regularity, like com- comical regularity. And uh, so you're kind of one of my fellow food fans, let's put it that way. And I just want you, want my audience to really get to know you a little bit. So why don't you just start by telling us who you are and what you do? Well, my name's Jeremy Hood. I'm the urban gastronome. And before I left my big boy job, which I was in operations for the Home Depot, um, I did a lot of different things as far as making cocktails woodworking, crafting with my hands. I used to garden. I can can jar. I cook, been cooking for 30 plus years. And my fellow managers called me like the Renaissance man. They're like, you do everything, you know, for a gift for them for Christmas one year. I made each one of them a cocktail and bottled up the recipe and then did a YouTube video for them to be able to watch it. And then their gift was, is this elaborate cocktail that they were able to make for themselves. And so when I started, that's awesome, dude. Sorry to interrupt, but that's no no problem. That's like just right away, you're already like doing content, you know, even though you're just doing it for your coworkers. I I didn't know I was doing content until one of uh, my employees, he actually did content on YouTube for cruise ships. And he would do cruise ship content and he was monetized and everything like that. So he was the one who said, You need to get on YouTube and start doing this. Well, I didn't necessarily go to YouTube. I I fell into Instagram and that's my main platform right there and started doing it. And then one day I was like trying to come up with a name for myself. And so, you know, what encompassed cocktails, what encompassed food, what encompassed all that. And I found the word gastronome and then I was living downtown Asheville. So urban gastronome and then it became the urban gastronome. Mm -hmm. So. And that's how it all kind of blended and started. But my first initial concept was just to be kind of foodie and bougie drinky and go around town and kind of showcase stuff and always have a a positive thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, If there was an experience or something that, you know, like you've had experiences where things just may not have went the way you wanted to or something like that. It wasn't something that I voiced because Mm -hmm. I just always wanted to be in the positive reflection and also be welcome into the town and into the businesses. <laughs> Absolutely. You you could in a small town like this, you could run out of friends fast if you were complaining about every little thing. And we are a town of complainers. So we do complain, but there's a difference between complaining to your friends and complaining on a public forum. 
um, right. and naming names in your complaints and stuff. So yeah, you, I as well try to be very positive and only report on the things I like. I don't write, as you know, I don't write positive reviews of bad food. I just don't write reviews of bad food. And it sounds like you have a similar philosophy. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, in working in this town, when you say small town, kind of like small town, big city, mm. it's that, you know, if you have a type of negative impact on anything right there, then people really don't want to mesh or work with you. Now, there's constructive criticism, mm-hmm. but that's behind closed doors. I mean, yeah. I've been in and out of the food and beverage industry for the better part of my life. My wife's been in food and beverage industry her entire life. Mm-hmm. So I've been around the industry. So I understand back a house to front a house. I understand being behind the bar. I understand the logistics and operations and everything. So it, it's having common sense and then having compassion when you go into these places to where somebody might have had a bad day or you don't know what's going on behind in the kitchen. Like now we struggled to staff most of our restaurants or bars and mm-hmm. so you just don't know what's going on so you just you just be kind and and that's basically it be right kind. jeremy you just said it be kind and not just in terms of writing about food or covering beverages uh just in general you should be yeah, just kind to each other and it just makes makes everybody else's day easier which in turn makes your day easier um yeah. so yeah, I mean, it sounds like you and I are right exactly on the same page with that kind of coverage around here. And you said like constructive criticism, best done behind closed doors or best done through uh, email directly to the venue. Um, or if you're friends with the owner, you might want to chat with them. But even in that case, I only offer that if it's asked for. Correct. I don't offer. I, I, people will sometimes say to me, oh, you I don't understand why the customers don't can like write directly to me. And I'm like, that's super intimidating, dude. And besides, they don't want to alienate you, you know? <laughs> so they're going to like write True. on Yelp or whatever. But like for me, and I'm sure for you too, you don't want to, it's not your business. And if the food's not to your no. liking, who cares? It's to somebody yeah, yeah. else's liking. And that's that's what I mean by it. I was just in, in regards to, you know, a lot of times when you do have an experience, you know, the manager will come out or, you know, most of the people that you're in there, or I even know as well. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, when they ask you, hey, how was everything? They really want some honest feedback. And so it's not something that maybe criticism being too harsh of a word, but it's just giving that feedback about your experience only enhances their business and platform moving forward. And once again, it's your opinion or it's my opinion. It's not 99% of the masses opinion. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so let's sort of talk about some, maybe some national trends. And I don't, I don't focus on cocktails a lot because I don't drink. Uh, so I would love for you to talk about cocktails and maybe um, I, I see a sort of resurgence of classics coming around. I swear to God, somebody ordered a boxcar at a bar the other day. <laughs> Um, what's going on in the cocktail world, man? I'm out of the loop. <laughs> so the thing, the thing that I'm seeing is that when I started this, I came in on the cocktail side first, cause that, that was where my inspiration and passion was. And I started doing events with cocktails and different types of themed events, Comic-Con events, you know, my Wizards of Mixology, Harry Potter event and everything. I've done the bar competitions around town and everything. And, 
And then my wife and several other businesses, I've done some of their cocktail programs. And in getting into that, it's like one of the first ones that I did was just a three ingredient cocktail. They're simple. They're prohibition era. They're where everything else bases off of where it comes from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And tried and true, follow a good recipe. You're going to have a nice cocktail. And I was with just few people that would do a lot of the photography and stuff. And then post COVID, you look at TikTok or reels on Instagram or Facebook and everybody's doing cocktails and fancy cocktail photography. Uh-oh, Jeremy, you might have hit your microphone. It just turned Everybody off. Everybody pivoted during COVID to things. So I see a lot of classics. I, I see just very simple, not many riffs. Um, and, and I enjoy those myself. I mean, a good bee's knees, you know, a nice martini, whether it be gin or vodka, you know, a daiquiri, um, just different drinks that you can just enjoy. Now, for me, I'm a... I'm a boozy kind of guy. So I like a Negroni or I like a Boulevardier um, as far as that's concerned. But I think really what the trend is now is mocktails. And weird mocktails are coming out more and more. And I said it when I was working with Dig Local two years ago, I did a column. You know, I used to do a food blog with them and mm-hmm. I did the cocktail side. And I did a column that was on mocktails that said, this is coming. And now you've got places opening up that are mocktail bars. Mm -hmm. And so just giving people the alternative to still have that craft beverage, but not, not have to have the alcohol in it. So it's interesting. And I, you have to be a little bit more creative because you're trying to bring out a lot of flavors in something and not just make it like juice and soda. Exactly. So you're you know, using uh, and stuff. Yeah. And that's that I said that that was weird because I am, as I mentioned, a non-drinker. I quit drinking 11 years ago. And uh, even, even when I drank, I primarily drank crappy beer. Um, so I wasn't really a cocktail <laughs> drinker. So when, but when I started to write about food, I had to make that pretty public because people started to send drinks to my table, which is pretty common in the food industry. Like show your appreciation or even just recognition of somebody by sending a drink so i'm like getting these drinks sent to my table i'm turning them away it's kind of bumming people out and i had to just come clean with the public i don't drink and so i say all that because people make me a lot of mocktails and they have done for years and years and i have seen the evolution of the mocktail with my very own eyes and my very own taste buds and they have come a long way man Mocktails used to be, well, first of all, it used to be you want a Coke or, or a club soda with lime. Like that was, right. like, if you didn't drink, those were kind of your choices, like the soda out of the tap uh, and club soda. So then it was, well, you guys, you want some, basically you want a fruity juice type thing. Like I used to kind of joke that the mocktails needed to come in a box with a straw you jam in the top because they were like, just, like a Capri Sun. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're drinking a five alive or something, you know, it's like we added every juice we have behind the bar and uh, those are okay, but whatever. I'm not that into them. It's only been recently that mocktails have become sort of layered and have become kind of dry in terms of like sweet or dry and have become much more enjoyable as a 
as a standalone beverage rather than just uh, like we don't have any booze. How is this? This is fine. And I would rather drink water most of the time if it's just going to be a crappy mocktail. But a great mocktail, these things are happening now. <laughs> it didn't used yeah. to be the case. Yeah. Now, well, the I, thing is, is, you beforehand, like you'd make your own syrups or your simple syrups, or you make your own shrubs, um, make your own tinctures, bitters, and things like that in your in the craft world. And then all these other people said, "Well, why don't we bottle this stuff?" As you know, there's several businesses around town that you even tour and stuff that have all these items with the syrups and the shrubs and bitters and tinctures and, and everything else that you can add to a drink mm-hmm. that gives it that cocktail feel, of course, without the alcohol, unless of course you're using something like a bitter or a tincture, which is an alcohol base. And I do drink those. They have such a minimal amount of alcohol that it's not going to make me feel anything. And, yeah. That's yeah. dropper, eye droppers. So yeah. And it's not like, being a former drinker, it's not like magic, you know, like one eye mm-hmm. drop of alcohol and I'm going to slide down the hill. It's it was like a 12 pack of beer was my problem, you know, so right. it's a lot, lot different than some bitters in a drink. Now, other people want might want to eschew it all together just uh, to stay pure that way. But I, I, what do you think? We've only got a few minutes left, Jeremy, but no real, problem. real quick, what do you think of these new non-alcoholic alcohols? Now, I'm not sure how I feel about those. Like, I, I almost feel like, well, I don't really need that. Non-alcoholic alcohol? Yeah, like a non-alcoholic oh, gin or a non-alcoholic yes, yes. vodka. So it's, yes. Um, I've tried quite a few of them. Some of them kind of, it's it's like you can get an old-fashioned just in the bottle that you can you can put in over ice or you can get like a gin and tonic type feel or flavor and stuff. You just add some soda or, or tonic to it. I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think they've got a little bit more way to go to get to where they really want to be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like down in Florida where they make wine that's supposed to taste like alcohol. So you'll have, yeah, it's, it's really strange. I don't get it but it's just a different form. It's, it's basically all malt beverage okay. is what it is. Kind of like with, um, I won't name the, the cinnamon whiskey that's under fire right now that is cinnamon whiskey, but then in grocery stores, they have a malt version of it. And it's kind of misleading to the public that it's not really what it's supposed to be. So okay. that's kind of ongoing right now. Um, okay. For those in the industry, you understand and for those that don't understand, there's not many cinnamon whiskeys out here that you couldn't go research and find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know that there was controversy, so I'll have to go look that up myself. I know what you're, yeah. I know the brand you're talking about, but yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Like neither of us is all that impressed with these non-alcohol alcohols. Like people tell me, oh, I'm about to order a non-alcoholic gin. And I'm like, mm, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm impressed with that or not. Like, because for one thing, they're very expensive. Uh, they're more expensive than gin, I believe. And, yeah. uh, and so then that jacks up the price of a mocktail. And I'll tell you what, people don't pay the high price of cocktails to not get a buzz. Like and that's, that's true. Just, and yeah. and also I don't, I think if, I think if you're trying to abstain from any type of alcohol, why would you want to taste something that tastes like it? That's kind of how I feel about non-alcoholic beer. Um, it's kind of like 
smoking a cigarette and then having a smoke non-smoke yeah i don't know i don't i don't, I don't know. know how you go about it yeah we you, the analogy is getting a little stretched but yeah i know what you mean like a non-alcoholic beer never interested me because again i wasn't really into my cheap beer for the taste um i was into it for the buzz but any hoodles jeremy this was a very excellent conversation and unplanned impromptu i would love to have you back on a regular basis to talk about the alcohol scene here in Asheville because sure. I don't really cover it, but it's a great, and not, not just in Asheville, but nationwide, because I know you follow trends. Okay. Is that something Sounds you'd be interested good. in? Yeah, All right. totally. All right, cool. Thanks for joining me today, brother. And I'll see you at some kind of tasting or another pretty soon, I'm sure. Oh, yes, very much so. All right, man. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. All right, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Now I want to do a little segment for you that's based on an article, if you can call it that, some little piece of writing on the internet that I shared on my Facebook page, my Stu Helm Food Fan Facebook page. Please follow me there. And the article was called Five Reasons to Avoid Asheville, North Carolina. Now, I thought it was funny. Not everybody thought it was funny, and I'll get to that. But Essentially, you know, like Asheville gets on a lot of top 10, top 5, top 25 lists all the time. And recently, a chef of all people was telling me, um, well, actually, I should say a restaurant owner was telling me that he thought it was ridiculous that we made a, like a top 10 places to eat in the world list. He was just like, come on, the food scene here is pretty good, but... It ain't one of the top 10 places in the world. And I thought that was kind of funny coming from a restaurant owner. Um, But, you know, he's a realist. And so we get on a lot of these ridiculous lists. And getting back to the TDA, my subject du jour for the whole year, my subject du anos, I don't know how to say, like, I think I just spoke in French and uh, Spanish at the same time. But anyways, my subject of the year is the TDA. And they have done a wonderful job of bringing tourists here to Asheville and getting us on those lists. That's part of why we're on those lists. Now, I think they've overdone their job, and I'm not in the minority on that around town. And uh, we need to figure it out from here. Like, congratulations, TDA. Now we got to figure it out from here because kind of using a sledgehammer on a nail to get tourists to this town at this point. But any hoodles, let me just say that we get on all these ridiculous lists of the top five in the world. And everybody always says, or a lot of people say, why aren't we on any lists telling people not to come here? We're tired of tourists. We're tired of people moving here. We need some lists that say don't come to Asheville. And so then one finally came out and I shared it. And I just said, finally, and I shared it in the very title says five reasons to avoid Asheville, North Carolina. Now, of course, the response was varied and uh, everything from righteous indignation to laughing out loud. Most people chose to make fun of the population numbers that the um, uh, article quoted. I'm not going to try to quote them because I'm terrible at remembering numbers, but uh, everybody think that the 
estimation for the population of Asheville was way too high. And then other people were coming in and saying, well, it's for the greater Asheville area or Buncombe County. Like there was some discussion about the population numbers, which to me was not really the most uh, prescient point of the list. Now let's get to the list. And um, first of all, there was a long intro that was, I think almost as long as the list itself. And the intro it it was stealth, y'all, because the intro was very much hyping Asheville. Like the intro was like, here's all the awesome reasons people come to Asheville. And they listed them all, not in the form of a list, but they mentioned them all in the in paragraphs. And then they had the list of reasons to avoid Asheville after hyping Asheville. And here's that list. Number one, traffic. Number two, homelessness. Number three, the cost. Number four, the tourists. And number five, it's just weird. So those were the five reasons given in the article. Now let's dip into them a little more uh, thoroughly. And first of all, I would say that the list and the longer blurbs underneath these reasons, uh, they read very much like a post on wax by a local like to me it was hilariously reflecting what the locals complain about constantly and so the righteous indignation was kind of funny to me on that part because they were like who do these people think they are you know to talk about us this way essentially and i was like you guys talk about yourselves this way all the time like all the time and the number one thing i hear people complain about and i'm not kidding uh, is traffic. People in this town complain about traffic all the time. Now, I don't drive a car, so traffic's not an issue for me, except for that I do ride a bike, and traffic, when it's crazy, is not very fun to ride a bike in. Uh, but uh, I'm not stuck in it, which is what I think people are complaining about, being stuck in traffic. And so, yeah, that's a reason. Don't come here. Avoid Asheville. There's traffic. Guess what? There's traffic in every city in America. Holy moly. I lived in Chicago and Boston, Massachusetts. Boston, Massachusetts took on the biggest public construction project in the history of the world in order to deal with their traffic problems. So Asheville, you've got a little tiny traffic problem, but yes, everybody avoid Asheville because of it. Um, and then the second problem, homelessness. Now this one's pretty sad, right? Because we do have kind of a a noticeable homeless population downtown and they're not doing good. You know, they are suffering and uh, the rest of us are kind of looking at their suffering and hoping that we can do something to ameliorate it. Um, but also there are problems that come with homelessness, such as trash and um uh, break-ins and stuff like that. And as downtown Asheville has been experiencing that stuff. So yeah, homelessness, yikes, it's a problem. And we are trying to deal with it here in America. But again, guess what? Every city in America has a giant homeless problem. And that is because straight up, I, I, I'll fight you on it. The huge income disparity between the top percentile and the rest of us. Now, I'm not talking about the income disparity between myself and the homeless person on the street or someone who lives in a McMansion 
and me, I'm talking about the difference between the people hoarding all the money at the top of the chain and all the rest of us, including McMansion. So, yeah, that's what I think causes homelessness. And until we face that, it's going to be an ever-growing problem in Asheville and all over the country. Have you ever been to Portland, Oregon? Have you ever been to Los Angeles? Holy crap, man. Asheville has a, a relatively small, but because we're a small town, a relatively noticeable homeless population. So it's sad. Let's do something about it. But in the meantime, yeah, avoid Asheville because of it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not serious about this. I don't want people to avoid Asheville. I make my living off of tourism. But I do think that enough is enough when it comes to like hammering downtown with more and more and more tourists. Um, and we'll get to that one after the next. So the next was the cost. The article claimed that it was expensive to visit, expensive to stay, expensive to eat, all of that. And boy, howdy, this is something the locals complain about all the time. It is. You think it's expensive to visit Asheville? Try living here. Um, now, I have managed to do it on both an artist's income and a um, writer's income with tour guides. But I am very fortunate, very, very fortunate. I feel very privileged to be living here in Asheville. I came here 18 years ago, so it wasn't like way long ago. But it when I came here, it wasn't quite as expensive. And I've be, been able to position myself to be able to live here. But for people for moving here, I'm sure it's quite a shock, unless you're moving here from New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, it's still cheaper, although it is harder to make a living. So yeah, the cost can be a little high. And I do hear the locals complain about that. This article is saying it's a reason to avoid Asheville. Make your decisions based on your own uh, income. All right, then let's get to tourists. I thought it was a funny uh, thing, and so did other people. They pointed out that here's an article warning tourists not to come to Asheville because of tourists. And I, I that's there's just some irony in there somewhere. Uh, and But yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of tourists and this is, after traffic, this is the number two thing that people in this town complain about to me is the tourists are everywhere downtown and we're swamped. Like it used to be really cool to go downtown and the, the place would be all yours and it was awesome. And now it's full of tourists. And you know what? That's really good for business. That's really good for our economy. So we're not hating on the tourists, or at least I'm not. Again, I make my living off of them as a tour guide. It's got the word tour right in it. And uh, and so, but, you know, it, it's unbridled. Like anything that's unbridled is gets to be an issue after a while. Like unbridled, uh, what do they call it? Like vulture capitalism. That gets to be a problem after a while. Results in massive homelessness. All right, let's move on from tourists to the final and probably the funniest one of all to me is they said, it's just weird. And, and the two things that they cited in the blurb as being weird were you might see a topless woman protesting and you might see a man on drugs. Wow. Okay, so... Yes, in Asheville, you might occasionally every couple of years see a topless woman because that is just something that happens in this town. 
the women in Asheville fought for the right to be topless because men have the right to be topless. So equal rights under the law. I support that 100%. I don't have a problem seeing a woman who's topless, but some people do, you know? And so if that's a reason not to go to downtown Asheville, like the the one in a million chance that you're going to see a topless woman, then definitely avoid Asheville. Now you're going to see a man on drugs. Hello, any city, any town, any corner, USA. This country loves drugs and everybody is on drugs. And people from other countries think of Asheville or Asheville and they think of America as a country that consumes a ton of drugs. And countries where producing drugs is a problem, they tend to blame America for being the consumer of those drugs. So you might see a man on drugs. Howdy, look around you, look in the mirror, do what you got. I mean, like swing a dead cat. There's a man on drugs everywhere in this country. Um, So whether those drugs are just like smoking some weed or I'm fully freaking out on acid in the middle of Pritchard Park, like, okay. And it is. And again, like this is something the locals complain about. And it is tied a little bit to the homeless problem or perhaps a lot because, I will say that I'm downtown a lot. The the folks who are living and staying on the streets of Asheville, for the most part, seem to have some mental disabilities as well as some drug and alcohol disabilities. And, and of course, enormous economic disabilities or disadvantages. Uh, and so, yeah, that the, the, that you might see a man on drugs is not just Asheville being weird. And that's a big misunderstanding of Asheville being weird. Asheville being weird is more like the drum circle, the hippies, just the peace, love and tacos or whatever, you know, like Asheville supposedly. And back in the day, the very uh, LGBTQ friendliness of Asheville was a little different. Now we hope that most places are more LGBTQ friendly, but back in the day that was part of Asheville's character And um, a lot of Asheville's character is still there, but it has been sort of overwhelmed by the other problems on the list, such as tourism, homelessness, and the expense of living and owning a business downtown. So there you go. Those are the five reasons. And where did I see this? I should try to quote the place that I saw this article. It was on, it was driving and vibing. Dot com driving and vibing.com and uh i'm not sure who wrote it but you can find it there five re- just look it up five reasons to avoid Asheville, north carolina and boy this really triggered a lot of the locals and i'm sure that some of it has triggered some of you right now but and, and some of it triggered me a little bit like the part about it being weird and the part about the homelessness i was like come on now that's not it's not really something that i would put in a the part about the homelessness is not something that I would put in an article that's mostly got a sardonic tone to it because it is a serious problem. And uh all right, so there you go. That is that segment and now let's move on to uh one of my interviews. All right, everybody, I am here at Franny's Pharmacy, and we just all ate a bunch of pasta and stuff off of the Pasta and Prana food truck, and I am here with some of Asheville's food luminaries. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and tell us what they ate. 
Sir? Hey, I'm Sam Kozik with Mother Ocean Seafood Market. And uh, Stu, we came here just not that long ago. That's right. Tried it out. That's and here right. we, we just randomly met up tonight. Yep. Yep. And what'd you have tonight, Sam? I had the uh, fettuccine with uh, local mushrooms and uh, the butter, the compound butter, which was a garlic chive. Fantastic. And I heard those mushrooms were came directly from the market. They actually, yeah, I worked uh, the River Arts, the uh, Rad Market today uh-huh. um, down at Smoky Park Supper Club. And uh, chef came in and picked up some mushrooms right after he came to my spot and picked up some scallops. Fantastic. So, yeah, it's keeping it as local as possible. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Ma'am, what did you have to eat today? Uh, I had the gnocchi with pesto. Well, first introduce yourself, please. Uh, My name is Melody Muller, and I'm just an eater at large. Eater at large. We love that. Eater at large. Uh, I had the gnocchi with pesto, also with the local fresh mushrooms. Uh, It was excellent. Mushrooms were cooked perfectly. Everything was great. Cool. And sir, your name, please. Hi, I'm Paul Crescent, uh, chef owner of Polly Boy Enterprises Private Chef Services. And I had the gnocchi tots. Gnocchi tots. Can you describe those for us a little bit? Yeah. Well, they are quick, deep-fried gnocchi. Uh, And I had them tossed in a tomato basil sauce, also made by the same people who make the pasta and the gnocchi, um, with a side of aioli. And they were amazing. Excellent. And, Paul, you showed us some pictures from your phone of some dishes that you made at home using the pasta. And um, you had some really great things to say about the pasta. Why do you like working with the linguine, the hemp linguine? Um, it's it's made so st- it's such a strong, strong pasta, but it cooks really fast, and it's really, really hard to overcook. In case that happens, I mean, some people don't know how long the pasta is going to take to cook. This pasta takes two or three minutes, but if you leave it in there for five or ten, it's still going to come out nice and tender. It's almost like it was cooked with duck eggs, but. The pasta's vegetarian, and the gnocchi is uh, gluten-free, and I mean, so it's, you know, it's uh, it's got all that hemp in there, and I think the extra protein, like four times the protein of regular pasta, has something to do with it. I think you're right, Paul, and Sam, you said something about how much protein we each ate today. What? 20, 20 grams of protein per serving. That's and fantastic. Each bag has 80 grams, 80 grams, four servings per bag. And I had some scallops. I had the scallop linguine, and the scallops were excellent. And you told me that they're from Ipswich. Is they're that right? Ipswich, Massachusetts. They're uh, a dry pack scallop. No tripolies, no chemicals. Just a clean, clean product. Yeah. They were very sweet, and they were, I would say, small on the smaller side, which I like. I like the tiny, sweet scallops. Those are my favorite. It's what I grew up eating in New England. Ipswich, not too far from my original birthplace of New Bedford, Massachusetts. So eating a little bit of home today. Love it. Thank you, sir. And why don't we go ahead and say, what are the hours up there at Mother Ocean? Because I always like to repeat hours for everybody. I'm an hours uh, queen. You are. You are. So uh, Tuesday through Friday, we are open 10 to 6. Lunches serve from 11 to 4. And then Saturdays, we're open from 10 until 3. And lunches from 11 to 2. Great. And look who's here at the table. It's Mike himself. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we all... The gentleman next to us, I just want to say, is from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Oh, hey. He noticed the flavor of the Ipswich scallops that his partner has eaten over here. Right on. And he gave him a red uh, green flag. Nice. Red flag, green flag, checkered flag. Checkered flag. Yeah. So tell us about your product, Mike, and what does everybody need to know about the food truck right now? 
Uh, right now, everyone should know that the food truck is open for dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, uh, you know, four to eight-ish. It's going to do a couple of lunches a week as well that'll be rotating, probably Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, that's where you got to go to get your hemp flour gnocchi, your hemp flour linguine. And it's been endorsed by three, uh, two, two chefs. And two eaters, yeah, two hardcore eaters. eaters here at this table. Human that I've noticed. Human, human eaters, yeah. yeah. We're bipedal yeah. human uh, eaters, yeah. Carnivores, omnivores. Yeah, at least. <laughs> Depends. Back in the day, you might find me crawling around on all fours, but these days I manage to stay on two feet most of the time. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for having us here, man. Oh, man, I'm so happy y'all came. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Thank you. All righty, folks, and that was the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, actually, before I go, I want to do a couple of more little segments. First of all, I just want to say that I had mentioned that I believe brunch and breakfast are making a big comeback and that I was myself declaring this for myself, the year of the breakfast. And I had brunch at Chestnut. They have rolled that out Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And uh, a huge menu, wonderful things, uh, sort of takes on classic so a take on eggs benedict a take on chicken and waffles a take on poutine but all very delicious that's chestnut right downtown and then i had breakfast at capella on nine the rooftop bar at the top of the ac hotel and boy howdy hello locals take advantage of this because they're open to the public seven days a week from early in the morning seven or eight in the morning i'm not sure check that online until 11 a.m for breakfast, they have a wonderful buffet as well as menu items that include things like crab cakes, eggs benedict, or actually that's one thing, crabs cake, crab cakes, eggs benedict, um, mushroom toast, uh, Spanish items like, like cazuela and a Spanish feasting board that includes meat, cheese, fruit, very European, a croissant, things like that. And it was great. And of course, the views can't be beat. And I was up there with Lucho. We tried about four menu items. They were awesome, including the mushroom toast and the eggs benedict, which were awesome, and and the cazuela. And um, the views were incredible. And there was nobody else there. And it's a huge space. So get on up. There's no waiting. Seven days a week, Capella on nine for breakfast. And again, before we say goodbye, I just want to do a little segment of Angry Blogger. Every once in a while, I do a segment I call Angry Blogger. And this week's episode of Angry Blogger that is, is just summed up in one sentence. Sometimes in life, there are pictures with no captions. That's it. Sometimes in life, there are pictures with no captions. And you can ask me to caption the 45 pictures I took of brunch at chestnut but um i'm gonna reply the chicken and waffles looks like chicken and waffles and then you can get upset with me that i was snarky but i did offer to identify anything you didn't recognize if you asked me under that picture of that item and then you asked me about five different items one of which was a breakfast sandwich and i said to you this one's just a breakfast sandwich. Are you trolling me? And you said no. 
And so there you go. I'm not really angry. I'm just like, kind of like, oh my gosh, I feel deflated because, you know, I try to be nice. It, 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 it's bothersome to me when somebody just says, you should label your pictures. You should mop your floors more often. Like, don't tell me what to do over here. And so right then and there, that triggers my mild irritation button. And then I try to be nice. And I'm like, if you ask me under the individual picture, I will identify it for you. And yeah, some of them were tough. Like if you don't know what shakshuka is, then you might not know that that one. So yes, I, I identified that one, shakshuka. But a, an egg sandwich? A cheese and egg sandwich? <sighs> All right. Anyways, that's Angry Blogger. And that's the end of the show. And I want to thank WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountain, for turning my humble podcast into a radio broadcast. And I want to thank you, the listeners, and I want to thank my guests. And again, follow me on all social media platforms. I mentioned them a little bit earlier. And if you eat something good, find me on one of those platforms and let me know about it. All right, y'all. Peace out. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.